The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. This morning we looked at the implications of the cross. As we said this morning, and I'll try to briefly review a little bit about what we talked about this morning. This morning we said that Jesus has been slowly but surely and very gently leading his disciples to the cross. He's been uh, a little here and a little there explaining to them what his purpose was in coming to this earth. See, they mistook his purpose to be a, a secular purpose, that he was to be here for political reasons and to lead a political revolt and an, and an upheaval there that would throw off the yoke of the Roman Empire. But that was not what he was here for. The Pharisees never got that. But his disciples were slowly being let in on this secret, so to speak. Uh, not, not really a secret if they really had understood what the Old Testament taught, but they, they just missed the whole, you know, Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. You think that's how you achieve eternal life is by keeping the law. You think that has something to do with your eternal salvation? He said, but they are they that testify of me. They were pointing them toward the fact that one day there had to be a perfect sacrifice to come in and satisfy the perfect justice of God. You see, the, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, they didn't put away sins. In fact, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, tells us they were a remembrance of sin. They reminded them that they were sinners and that they needed a Savior. That's what he was preaching the gospel to, uh, to, the, uh, to Abraham. Uh, he, he, we're told in the third chapter of Galatians, says he preached the gospel before to Abraham. How did he preach it? He said, Abraham, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Your children, your progeny, your seed will be as the sands of the sea and as the stars of the sky. He's not talking about just the physical descendants of Abraham. He's talking about the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Guess what? You're one of those. <laughs> he tells us that in the book of Romans, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, but who is one inwardly, you see, who is circumcised not in the flesh, but in the heart. That's the circumcision that counts, that Holy Ghost new birth that occurs only through the power of the Holy Ghost. And see, when they came, the, the Pharisees had decided and believed that, uh, that, that the way of salvation, through, uh, the way of eternal salvation was through the keeping of the law, that that was how you get to heaven. But um, uh, in fact, we're going to see a rich, uh, a rich young man, a rich young ruler that will come to Jesus and he'll, he'll be thinking that's how that he gets there. And Jesus is going to set him straight. He'll go away sorrowing. <laughs> but we're told that Jesus loved him, which is a sweet thing to know. But, uh, but be that as it may, we'll get to that in, in, a, in another message or two. But, uh, but just understand that they did not know, they did not see what it was that Jesus was here to do. He was here to fulfill all those types and shadows of the Old Testament law. That's all it was. It was a type. It, it says the law bearing a shadow. It's just a shadow of the good things to come. And I've heard Brother Buddy say this very often. I would hate to, I would hate to court and marry my wife based on her shadow. <laughs> you know, if that's all I could see was her shadow, you know, uh, when I could really see her in the flesh, okay? Uh, well, the same thing happened here. All through the Old Testament, they had a shadow of the good things that were coming. But now this good thing was here, Jesus Christ. Remember the first verse? Of this very gospel. I can just see Peter sitting in his prison cell dictating this, 
this uh, gospel to Mark, if indeed that's the way it happened, is that's what history tells us. Saying, okay, here's the first thing you need to write. The beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. See, all our hopes, they're not, they're not wrapped up in a, in a way. They're not wrapped up in a method. They're not wrapped up in a two-step or five-step or 12-step program. They're wrapped up in a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was also fully God. And he was here teaching them, slowly leading them, gently leading them toward an understanding that what I'm here to do, disciples, is not to bring in a revolution or a revolt from a political standpoint, but to bring in a revolutionary kingdom as far as your thinking goes. You don't understand. See, you think it's one way, but let me tell you, what I'm teaching you is a totally opposite of what you're thinking. And it's all wrapped around the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. You know, that's why our, that's why our preaching is, is always trying to point you to the cross. It's because there is no other hope. You know, Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, save only in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I have nothing to glory in. I have nothing to teach you to glory in except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what he's telling them, though, here is it goes beyond the cross in the sense of, okay, the cross is coming, and I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die on the cross, and after three days I'm going to rise again, and because I'm going to do that, because that is the way of salvation, there are some implications for you in your daily walk. And remember, he's talking to people that really, they already believe in him. They're already, uh, you know, they're already walking with him. These are his disciples here. And he says, here is what you need to know uh, that, that the cross is going, to, is going to show you is something different than what the world teaches. You remember this, this morning we saw where uh, when he got to this house in Capernaum, he asked, he asked him a question. He said, what was it that you disputed among yourselves, by the way? I'm not going to belabor that again. I just want to ask you the question again. Uh, what would your response be if Jesus appeared in person today and said, hey, tell me what you were talking about just a little bit ago? Man, that's, they couldn't answer him. They said they held their peace. You know why? Because they knew they were talking about things that Jesus would not approve of. They knew that. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to say a lot of what I talk about during the day are things that I would be ashamed to tell my Lord that I was talking about them. But he said, what was it you disputed among by yourselves, by the way? And their question, what they were disputing about, what they were arguing among themselves about is who should be the greatest? Who should be the greatest? And, and, and right here we see a lesson on greatness in the kingdom of God. Remember this morning we said, first of all, to be great, you must serve greatly. You must serve greatly. You must, he said in verse 35, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. In other words, don't listen to what the world says. The world says to be great, you must be served. What I say is to be great, you must serve. The, the, the world says the more people that serve you, the greater you are. Uh, the, the, the Lord said the more people you serve, the greater you are. That's, that's the only way this works here, by the way, beloved. This, here, this church is, you know, it, it doesn't work any other way. 
If, if you, as church members, and I, as a church member, if we're out there jockeying for position, and we're trying to do like the world says and climb the ladder of success, stepping on people on the way up, it does not work. That's, you know, he's telling us stuff that will work. <laughs> I love the fact that he didn't leave us here without instructions. Uh, this, is, this, this is a recipe. Look, at, look around, look at us, you know, and especially when, when we're all here, okay? Think about each of our personalities, including your own, by the way. <laughs> Think about yourself more than anybody else. Think about, oh, brother so-and-so, boy, he's headstrong. Sister so-and-so wants her way. This, uh, you know, we, we all have got that. And think about the recipe for disaster that this church right here is, <laughs> It's just a recipe. It's a, it's a disaster waiting to happen if we try to pursue uh, greatness in this church the way the world teaches greatness. But if we pursue greatness in this church the way the Lord teaches greatness, then guess what? We can experience revival. Listen, I'm not, you know that I've said this many times. I'm not here preaching to you because I see a problem other than the fact that you're just all problems anyway, <laughs> right? And me too, by the way, I'm the biggest problem of all. You just have the potential within you, and I do too, to be a huge problem. But, but I'm not preaching to you because you're acting on your human nature here in this church. I'm so thankful we have experienced revival here because the Lord, the Lord has been in it, first of all. And, and I believe that as a, as a people in general, we have tried to be faithful to what he's taught us here. We've tried to put each other first. There's things, hey, if, I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, I'm not worried about false doctrine coming in here. Because I, I know most of you here are just as sound and grounded as you can be in what the truths of God's word is. You know what, you know what I stayed awake at night over? I'm so glad when we finished this building because I was staying up nights worrying. What are we going to have a problem with the building? You see, this has not got anything to do with doctrine. It just has to do with what we want and what you want and what I want. And, and, and praise God. <laughs> I mean, it's just proof, I believe, that, uh, that, that, the, that doing it the Lord's way works. Praise God. We're still together after, after all these years of working on this building and trying to get it built and, and trying to put ourselves down and raise one another up. Praise the Lord for that. But that's my, this morning we talked about the fact that the world says, climb the ladder of success and get to the top. And, and, and the more people that, uh, that serve you, the more successful you are. But you turn that upside down in the kingdom of God. And you say, the more people you serve, the more successful you are. And one thing I don't want to, I want to clear up. I don't think it, I don't, nobody asked me a question about it and nobody seemed confused about it. But I want to clear this up just to make sure you understand that I'm not just talking about the church here. Now, certainly the kingdom of God, the visible aspect of the kingdom of God is the church. But, but what he's saying here, he's not saying go to church on Sunday and act this way. But then when you get back out in the world, you go back to doing it the way the world says. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying to you and I, see, we export the kingdom of God from here every time we step out the doors. So, so what this means is, 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 is that when we go back to our workplace, when we go back to our social settings or our, or our, our rotary clubs and our, 
Lions clubs and those other places, those things that we're part of out there, we carry this same idea with us that, hey, I'm not here to promote myself. I'm not here to lift myself up. I'm here, I'm here to serve in whatever way I can. I've had occasion, even recently, to, to, to come to a crossroads, so to speak, in my life, in my career, where I've had to, I've had to decide, am I going to do, do it the world's way or am I going to do it the Lord's way? And, and, and I don't, you say, well, if, if, if doing it the Lord's way, you end up losing out, you don't get that promotion, you don't get that new job, you don't get that whatever that goal is out there, I guess you just lost out. No, you didn't lose out. <laughs> I didn't lose out. Uh, doing it the Lord's way is always the most blessed way. And I'd rather be blessed by the Lord than lifted up by the world. I'd rather be blessed by God than to, than to be seen as a success in the world, you see. So don't think that it only applies within the walls here. And then we talked about, as he moved on here, teaching us about greatness, that to be great, you must love greatly. In fact, you must receive one another as a little child. And, and we talked about the fact that, that, that that's all about the, you know, a little child can't help you. A little child can't advance your career. A little child can't give you anything. In fact, a little child has to be taken care of. But you know what? You're, all, you're, you're, to, you're to love one another. You're to love all those sheep of the Lord out there that you come in contact with. You're to love them greatly in order to be great. And, and, and in fact, it's, you know, we always, we said this morning, the others out there, you got you got to learn a lesson from the others. That means those that aren't just like you, those that aren't living just like you, those that aren't thinking just like you, those that don't believe just like you. You know what? You got to love those folks. You don't, John said, we saw somebody that wasn't doing it our way and, and we forbade him. And, and Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. Now that doesn't mean that this person was doing it just right. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying that this person who was casting out devils in Jesus' name but wasn't following them was doing it just right. He should have been following Jesus. He should have been there with them, no, no question. But he says, don't be so legalistic that you are uh, unwilling to, uh, to enter, engage with these people. Don't be so rigid and hard and, 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 and lacking in love that you're not willing to reach out to those who are across the aisle, so to speak. We see a lot of that today, don't we, in politics? We see a lot of polarization. We see Democrats on one side of the aisle and Republicans on the other side of the aisle, and they don't reach across the aisle. They refuse to work together. Beloved, Christians should not be that way. Now, you may not be a primitive Baptist, but you, but you very well may be a child of God, you see. I'm, someone said one time, and I think it was Brother Ricky Harcrow, he said, I got news for you. He said, there's going to be people of other denominations in heaven. <laughs> he said, there, there's, going to be some, there's going to be some Methodists in heaven. He said, but they're not going to be there because they're Methodists. He said, there are going to be some Catholics in heaven, but they're not going to be there because they're Catholic. And he said, praise God, there's even going to be some primitive Baptists in heaven, but they're not going to be there because they're primitive Baptists. And I'm glad that we're not the only ones there are. I'm thankful that, there, that there's a people, according to the Bible, in the book of Revelation, in every kindred and nation and tongue and tribe. That tells me that when we get to heaven, he said it's a number that no man can number. It's a number that you can't count to. You could start when you're born and you could 
could count till you die and you'll never get to the number of the children of God. It's a number beyond what anyone can count. There's going to be a glorious reunion one day in heaven with family you never knew. Praise God for that. You see, here's the point. Is that just because that man or that woman is over there in another denomination doesn't mean they're not a child of God. And, and there's a lot of children of God that have been born again and have a, have a zeal for the Lord. They have a zeal for Him, and it's a sincere zeal. They may not understand the truths of salvation by grace. But let me tell you, beloved, we need to, if we're going to teach them, if we're going to share the good news that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You think we're going to get anywhere with them by going to them and say, well, you better quit what you're doing. You're wrong and we're right. <laughs> I, know, I know this statement is not in the Bible. It's a, it's a statement that I've heard several motivational speakers use, but it's a biblical concept. And it's this. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. I mean, really think about that. Now, that's not written that way in the Word of God. But you know what Jesus says? He says, you'll know them. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. How? That you're right, that you're orthodox, that you got it all down pat and you've got your degree from the seminary and you're all good to go? No. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. And it's a sacrificial love. He said not just any kind of love. Not the kind of love where your heart goes pitter-pat and you get, you know, you know, there, you know, there are people, there are children of God that are difficult to be around, you know? Now, I'm, I mean, just, just face it. There's children of God. There's some that are easier to be around than others, you know? I hope I'm one of those easy to be around, but I think my wife and kids would tell you occasionally that there's times they don't want to be around me, you know? So there's probably a lot of folks they'd rather be around than me, I'm sorry to say. But, uh, but, but that doesn't matter how much your heart goes pitter-pat when you see, uh, children, see somebody. What, what matters is, is that you display the love toward them that you might not even be feeling. You know, someone might even, I, I've got, there's a, at least a couple of people in my life or that I know who, are, who I would put in the category of enemies, my enemies. And I really believe that they're children of God. I really do. Um, and and it, it, it pains me to, to, to know that I can't have fellowship with these people for various reasons. Um, but, but, but one thing's for certain. Huh, um, th this is sort of neither here nor there. If you've got somebody, though, that's an enemy of yours, uh, that used to really bother me. It used to really, I used to really struggle with the fact that there's somebody out there that doesn't like me or that won't have fellowship with me. Think about that person in terms of the resurrection, okay? Think about that person in terms of the resurrection. Like I said, I got a, I got a, a small short list of two or three people that, that, that do not want to have any fellowship with me. I don't know if I can do this or not, but, but I can think about it at least. My, my desire is that when, when, when the resurrection comes, I, I look forward to seeing my daddy. I look forward to seeing my other loved ones. I look forward to seeing Brother Oliver and others. 
But, but if I can do this, Brother Glennon, I don't know if I can, but if I can do it, first persons I'm going to go to are those people. I'm going to try to find them in the resurrection. And if they're not there, you know, there's no issue. I don't, I don't have to worry about them. <laughs> and, and, and that's a sad thing, but uh, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I don't, I don't desire that. What I desire is for them to be in the resurrection and for me to go up to them and hug their necks and them hug my neck. And say, man, how foolish we were. How fo- Praise God, we're here. I love you, brother. Or I love you, sister. See, in that, think in terms of the resurrection. That'll help you deal with it. I promise you. Now, I, I throw that in for free tonight. That's not going to cost you anything. But notice he says, you must love greatly. Okay? You must reach out. You must. And he says, and, and this is. This is something else. He says in verses 41 and 42, we dealt with that a little bit this morning, but I want to go back to it right quick. Whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. No matter where that person comes from, if they do a kindness to you, accept it. Accept it. Don't, don't put up the brakes and, oh, you're not, you're not a primitive Baptist. You're not a member of this church. You don't believe like I Hey. You know what? I want to fellowship with every single one of God's children as deep as I can. Sometimes it's just an inch deep. Sometimes it's miles deep. But I want to fellowship with them. And he says also, though, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it's better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. I had an experience one time that I won't go into the details about, but it, had to, it, was, it was an experience in, a, in another church. It was in another church, and not, it wasn't. A, it was a. It was in a Baptist church, but not a primitive Baptist church, where we as a church offended, I believe, offended one of God's little ones. I believe we did that in a, in a very, very terrible way, in the sense of the way it happened. And that church doesn't exist today. That church is no longer in existence, and. And I'll tell you, I believe this is partly what he's talking about. You know, I wasn't part of the, the, the offense that occurred, but I didn't do enough to help correct it. I didn't do enough to, to help fix it. I felt condemned and still to this day feel condemned about that incident. Um, and, and to this day, I feel like it would have, you know, I feel like, Lord, I just, I just wish that somebody had wrapped a millstone around my neck and cast me into the, into the sea. Because uh, I would rather that happen than for that offense that occurred to have happened. And to this day, I, I, just, I look forward to the time in heaven when I see uh, this, these, the folks that were offended and I'm able to, to be in sweet peace with them. You see, he's talking to, to his disciples here about his kingdom here. He's talking about the church, beloved, and he's telling us that we as a church can do some things that are terribly, terribly offensive. Brother Mackey and I have talked many times, and he's seen some of those things in his life that have occurred in some of, some of the Lord's churches in this area even. There's also uh, one or two that are no longer in existence either for the similar reasons to what I'm talking about. So now, I know that's a long review, but, and, and I'm not going to take too much more of your time tonight. But, but I want to turn to the third thing tonight and, and kind of move on about this lesson on greatness. To be great 
okay? You must serve. You must serve greatly. To be, to be great, you must love greatly. But also to be great, you must judge yourselves seriously. That's, that's what the rest of this is talking about. And let's just read it, and then I'll, I'll point out to you what I'm talking about. Verse 43. Remember now the context before we start reading. The Lord has questioned them about what they're arguing about, about being great in the kingdom. Who's the greatest? And he's taken this little child and he's wrapped his arms around this little child. And he's still holding on to this little child as he's teaching them all of this. And he says, and if thy hand offend thee, verse 43, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell and into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltness, wherewith shall you season it? Now listen to this. Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. What he's teaching us here is that in our walk here in this life, we must constantly be judging ourselves, and not just in a general way, oh Lord, if I've done anything wrong, I apologize for it. You ever had anybody apologize to you like that? They, you know, they've offended you, and they come up to you, and they say, well, if I, if I offended you in any way, I'm so sorry. That's not a real apology, okay? That's not a real apology. Now, I, real, I, I do understand that, that there are times when people take offense and they shouldn't have. But, but if somebody's truly offended you and they come to you, I, I, remember, I remember hearing about that in a church one time where, where a man had committed an offense and he got up and he, he, he told the church, that, well, if I did anything wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not a true apology. That's not true repentance. The true repentance, the true apology is I have examined my life I have looked at the things I've been doing and the things I've been thinking and the things I've been keeping in my mind and the grudges maybe that I've been holding in my heart and I release them, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I have, I have salted myself. I'm having salt in myself. Salt is, an, is a symbol of judgment. It's a symbol of the purifying effect of judgment, if you will. And he says here, have salt in yourselves. In other words, judge yourselves. Peter tells us over in the first, uh, first Peter, I believe it's the first chapter, he says, uh, he says the time has come when judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. Now listen, that tells me he's not talking about eternal judgment here. That's in the hands of the Lord. But this timely judgment, the idea that you and I need to judge ourselves and our actions and our motives and our own hearts. That's a burden that's placed on us. The Lord's going to judge sin. The Lord is going to ultimately and, and finally judge sin. He's going to put it away from the earth. And, and every sin that's ever been committed will be judged by the Lord. From an eternal standpoint, every single sin you commit is going to be judged. How does that, how does that scare you? <laughs> well, let me give you some comfort. Your sins, if you're a child of God, are going to be judged in the Lord Jesus Christ. That, but they're going to be judged, you see. 
You can't, you can't bear the judgment of God. Only, only Jesus could do that. But as a child of God whose sins have been eternally put away, we have a duty daily to judge ourselves seriously if we would be great in the kingdom of God. Now these verses 43 through 48, okay, they are an elaboration, if you will, on what he tells us in Matthew. Uh, it's along these same lines what he tells us in Matthew, the seventh chapter. And the third verse, listen to this. Now, let me, let me, as you're turning there, say this. Context, context, context. It's everything in your interpretation of Scripture. One of the first things you have to ask yourself is, who is this written to? You know, I heard a preacher say one time that a lot of the problems out in the world, in the religious world, is that you've got too many people reading somebody else's mail. <laughs> this is written to the children of God. Especially this Sermon on the Mount here. He, he's, he's talking about those in the kingdom who have, uh, who have a spiritual nature to be able to understand spiritual things. Now listen to what he says. He says, Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? That's a little bitty piece of speck. But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. <laughs> That's a whole lot bigger than a speck, isn't it? A beam. I'm thinking of a four by four or a six by six or something like that. You know, you've got a little splinter in your eye and I got a six by six coming out of mine. <laughs> and I'm telling you how to do. You know, now, now, now notice what he didn't say. He didn't say you don't judge your brother in the sense that, that he tells us in uh, Galatians and other places. He said that you've got a duty to go to your brother or your sister when you see them erring and try to correct them and try to exhort them and to bring them back. He didn't say, you know, people say, oh, I can't judge. Ooh, I just, the Bible says don't judge. The Bible also says judge righteous judgment, right? He also says that the time is coming and now is when judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. But what he's saying is this. He said, if you're going to be one who helps your brother in the sense of saying, Brother Mackey, you're just doing wrong, and I need to tell you about it, and I love you, brother, and here's a way to get right, okay? This is a way to get back right on the right path. Then you better judge yourself first. You better judge yourself first. He says, Wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the moat out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? I, I've got this funny vision of that. Of, of me going over to somebody, uh, to Mason, and saying, Mason, okay, I, you need to let me pull this, uh, pull this little splinter out of your eye. But it, every time I turn to look at him, I hit him upside head with the beam that's coming out of my eye. And, he, and he's saying, well, Daddy, I, I can't really, it's kind of hard for you to do that as long as that beam's in your eye, right? See, that's what he's talking about. Judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. Judgment, Self-judgment is what he's talking about here. And notice too, and by the way, let me, let me, um, let me just say chapters, uh, uh, back in chapter 9, verses 43 through 48, or ex there's some extreme language in there. There's some very extreme language in there, right? That's an extreme word picture that he's given us. There's some extremely figurative language. And the idea here is one that, you, you know, the Lord always uses a physical example that will help that will help and 
whatever situation he's talking. He often uses farming examples. Here in this day particularly, they would have understood this. If someone has an injury to their arm and the arm turns gangrenous, you get gangrene in your arm, blood poisoning you might call it, then, then there's only really about two options. You can cut the arm off and save the body, or you can just let the gangrene grow and eventually the body will die. And, and that's what he's saying here. And you know what he's telling us? Child of God, in your life, there may be times when you have to do extreme surgery in order to stay on the right path in the will of God. And it may be painful. I can't imagine anything worse. You know, I, I read about these stories in, in World War, in uh, uh, the Civil War particularly, where these, they didn't have anesthesia and they didn't have, they'd bring those soldiers off the battlefield and they'd been shot up with their legs or their arms and they just have to hold them down and take a saw and cut their, cut their limb off. And what a terrible thing that would be. I think that would be just awful. But I tell you, it, it was a pain that was necessary to save the life. It was a pain that was necessary to save the life. Sometimes a spiritual walk requires extreme surgery. Now, let me make this clear as well. He's not talking about literally doing that. He, no matter who you are from whatever background you're from, whether you're Old Baptist or whether you're Calvinist or whether you're uh, any other denomination out there that teaches the free will of salvation, nobody except the Muslims... <laughs> believe that this, this is a literal cutting off of the hand or plucking out of the eye or cutting off of the foot, okay? So, so nobody, you don't see Christians going around today uh, maimed, do you? Physically, literally maimed, okay? Then, I, then with that being the case, I believe you need, we need to understand that, that none of this is, is a literal, in other words, if you don't literally cut your hand off, you're literally going to hell. See? Otherwise, there's a lot of people going to hell. Right? That hadn't cut their hands off, hadn't cut their foot off, hadn't plucked their eyes out. We often, and, and, and let me say this, God doesn't mix his metaphors either. <laughs> he doesn't have a figurative metaphor here that links up with a literal one over there. So he's not saying, oh, figuratively, you've got to cut your hand off or you're going to literal hell. <laughs> what he's talking about here is, is figurative on both ends in, this, in, in a way that they would have understood it. This, this word hell there is the Greek word Gehenna. And it's a, reference, it's a reference to something they would have known at that time. There was a valley out there, the Valley of Gehenna or the Valley of Hinnom. And it was a place... It was a place where uh, uh, some of those old kings and those old, uh, not just the kings, they would go out and sacrifice their sons and daughters, their babies, especially their sons, to, uh, uh, to the god Molech. And it was a cursed, vile place. It became the garbage dump of the city of Jerusalem. It was a place where fires would burn constantly. Fires would be smoldering constantly. It's a place where decomposition was happening all the time. It was a vile and a stinking and a, a place of refuse. It was a terrible place and it was something you would smell it as you got close to it. <laughs> you would know, they would know what he's talking about here. They would know the kind of reference that he's making. He's making a figurative reference here to say this. He's saying... You may, you may win the approval of men. You may, you may climb the ladder of success. But if you don't judge yourself 
If you don't do some extreme surgery spiritually upon yourself, then your life is going to be a total loss. We, certainly there are those that are going to suffer eternal hellfire. Those that Jesus didn't pay the sin debt for will suffer eternal hellfire. But the reference here, the reference here is to children of God suffering this kind of loss, this kind of hell on earth, if you will. You say, is there an example of that? I think, I think clearly. We won't turn there, but let's talk to David the king one day. Let's talk to David the king one day, and let's find out if he would have been better off to have, uh, to have gone back home after looking upon that woman Bathsheba as she was bathing and maybe, had, maybe experienced lust in his heart. Let me, and let me tell you, the sin of lust in your heart is the same as the sin of committing adultery in the sight of God and must be eternally paid for. But what we're experiencing, what he's talking about here are consequences in this life. And let me just say to you, David would have been better off to go home and leave that alone. And you know, sin always leads to sin. You know what else? David would have been better off to have committed that sin with Bathsheba and then fessed up to it. He said, you know what? I did it. I'm sorry, Uriah, that's my baby. Uh, that, I'm, I'm sorry, I apologize. I was wrong. But David, as many of us do, compounded sin upon sin. And he began, to, he began to just pursue this path of sin. And you know, I believe that that's, you know, the hand and the foot and the eye here. Think about it. The hand is, the, is what we commit the act with generally, right? That's a reference to the actual act of the sin. The foot is what we walk down the sin-cursed path with, isn't it? The eye is what puts us on that path in the first place. It's what we let into our minds and into our hearts. And we're told by Jesus that what's in our heart comes out the mouth. You see, it's what comes out of a man that's this bad. Oh, David would have been so much better off even had he committed the sin with Bathsheba to say, you know what, that's it. I'm going to, this is terrible. This is horrible. I've fallen, hey, I've fallen in love with her. Oh, I love her now. Yeah, how many times have you heard that? I just can't, I can't, I can't go back. I'm, I'm in love. I've got this, I know I'm married. I know, I've, I know I need to stay, with, I ought to stay with my wife, but I just, I've fallen in love. I, I remember sometime, Many, many years ago, a situation where someone I knew, uh, their wife <clears throat> ended up leaving him. And, and the, the, new, the, the new friend, the, the one she was in love with, came and said, man, I, I've done fell in love with your wife. And, and it's, it's, it's as if he was hopeless. It was as if he just didn't have it. There's nothing I can do about it. You know, think about that. I, I've just... I've fallen out of love with my wife, and I've fallen in love with your wife. That's just nothing I can do about that, is there? That's just the way it is. You can't, you know. See, David, David could have stopped this thing at any point. Now, the further you go down the path of sin, the harder it is and the more painful it is to stop it. So that's why I counsel you tonight, beloved, don't take one step down that path. Because you may require some radical surgery that will be very painful at some point. It may require you. He, he, should have, he should have said, you know, Bathsheba, I love you. My heart, my emotions are all caught up in, you know, with you now. I know we, we're, we're going to have a child together. And all, but, but this is wrong. And I'm going to, you know, I know it's going to be embarrassing to me as a king. 
it's going to bring reproach upon me and my, but I, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going to, but that's not what he did. He went on down there and he said, you know, I've got to keep covering this thing up. So he sends a letter to Joab. Says, or, or, it says, Joab, you put him in the heat of the battle. You let Uriah get up there to the wall and then you withdraw from him. And that way nobody really has to take the blame for his death. That sounded like a good plan, didn't it? I mean, you know, things happen in war. In fact, when Joab sent a letter back to David and said, said hey, this is what happened. We, we tried to take the wall, but we didn't take it. And I can just see David reading the letter, probably forgotten what he wasn't thinking about what he had sent before. Reading the letter, I can see him just sitting there reading the letter. Say, they didn't take the wall. Why did he do something so stupid? He tacked the wall in broad daylight and went up there. And down at the bottom, he said, and oh, by the way, Uriah the Hittite is dead now. And David's like, ah, okay. Whew, I got away with that. You know what he sent him back? He said, don't worry about it. People die all the time in war. That's basically what he said. You know, but there's that, little, there's that little phrase, there's that little verse there. And I believe it's in the 12th chapter of Second Samuel. It says, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord. Be sure your sin will find you out. And you know what happened to David? He experienced this hell on earth. The sword never left his house. Four of his sons he lost to death. Two of them revolted against him. One raped his sister. See, what a horrible thing. You want to experience that? Then just go along your merry way and follow whatever path your foot leads you to. But if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then if you have to, cut off your hand. Stop doing that, which the Lord says you shouldn't be doing. If that doesn't work, cut off your foot so you're not walking down that broad path that leads to destruction anymore. If that's not enough, pluck out your eye. Quit putting things into your eyes, into your head, into your mind, and your, your heart that leads you down that path in the first place. See, He's telling us here that there's some important things we need to do that we need to do in order to be great in the kingdom of God. Now, let's, let's bring this to a close. In order to wrap all this up, first of all, do you want to be great in the kingdom? Then serve greatly. Serve one another. Be, be willing to do, put yourself down and build your brother or sister up. Do you wish to be great in the kingdom? Then love greatly. Is there anybody you refuse to minister to? Is there any category of people who are too outcast to be included? I know I'm, this is not a political sermon, but it's probably the best example I know is, is right now, uh, there are people that if they're Republicans, they're not going to have anything to do with the Democrats. If you're conservative, you're not going to have anything to do with a liberal. They're not going to have any interaction whatsoever. They're not willing to minister to those folks. I don't mean adopting their way of thinking. 
I don't mean changing what you believe the Bible to teach to, to make it something that it's not so that you can just have peace with somebody. But I'm saying to you, beloved, we ought not, instead of, instead of arguing, instead of being antagonistic toward these the folks that are what we would consider not in our group, others, quote unquote, then we ought to be reaching out to them. We ought to be sharing the good, the good news with them. There's a lot of people mixed up out there. You say, well, I, I'm just not going to have any association with a drunkard. Really? Then how's the drunkard ever going to know a better way? I'm not going to have anything to do with a drug addict. Then how's the drug addict ever going to hear of the good news? I'm not going to have anything to do with a homosexual. Okay, really? Then how's that, that homosexual who... See, all of these, there are children of God in all these categories. How are they ever going to know that Jesus loves his people with a love that's everlasting? And, and, and that all these rules, all these things that they consider to be legalistic and all that, let me tell you, they're not legalistic. They're just, they're just things that, that the Lord wants us to, to do because it will make it better for our lives. You know that? Do you know that following the Lord is always the best way? It doesn't always look that way. You, have, you do have to crucify yourself. But let me tell you, beloved, if you'll follow the Lord's path, it always works out better. Do you wish to be great in the kingdom? Then judge yourself greatly. Judge yourself seriously. If there's some sin that's recurring in your life, cut it off. Cut it off. Is it visible sins, visual sins? Is it, is it um, things you watch on TV or the Internet? Is it, is it, is it language you use? Is it, is it uh, the type of things you engage in out there in the world? Cut it off. Cut it off. Radical surgery is required for true kingdom service. And all of that is based not on trying to get yourself fit for heaven because you cannot fit yourself for heaven. But it's all based on the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice who fit us for heaven. Every good thing you do, you know what Isaiah calls it? Filthy rags. All our righteousnesses. You say, well, I'm doing these good things so that I can, I can either become or maintain my position as a child of God. Let me tell you, beloved. You're not that good, and I'm not that good. Now, I don't know about you. I suspect about you that you're not that good, but I know about me that I'm not that good. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus Christ is, teach, is teaching them and has now taught us about the cross, and the implications of the cross are this, that we ought to live in the shadow of the cross. We ought to live in a way that pleases Him. It's radical and it's revolutionary, but oh, oh, it's so satisfying. It's so blessed. If we will live in a way that He says to live, then we can be great in the kingdom of God. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.